0: Another question, what do you do when the inconvenient, the unexpected, oftentimes very unpleasant happens in your life? What do you do when it's totally out of your control? Oftentimes, really, you have nothing to do with the cause whatsoever, what's going on. You are just kind of all of a sudden cast into this area of uncertainty. What do you do when that happens? You're caught up in the consequences of something that you didn't have a clue was coming. How do you react? How do you respond? A lot of times when that happens it's stretching us beyond what we feel our limits are. And oftentimes it oftentimes maybe most of the time it takes us out of our comfort zone if for no other reason than we were caught so by surprise when this happened. I would like to offer something for us to think about, that just maybe when those things happen, just maybe the stage is being set in your life or my life for God to show up in an amazing way. Maybe he's in the process of making your life testimony how we respond in those situations. Wouldn't it be amazing if in those kind of crisis situations that pop up, we respond in such a way that people who may not believe in Jesus Christ, may not know him, would observe you and me and watch us and because of the way we were able to respond in those situations, they would say something like, I want your God to be my God. Wouldn't that be amazing? That's what God wants in each one of our lives. Making a testimony. The title of the message this morning is simply The Making of a Testimony. And we're going to be looking at Daniel chapter 3 in just a few minutes. But I want to share with you, and I know I've shared this before, but it was so powerful, I want to share it again. Are, are, are some of the team that went to Nava, Columbia here? If you are, just raise your hand. We got one, only one, only two of us, so I can say anything as long as you keep your mouth shut. We're in Nava, Columbia, and we're excited we're on this mission trip. We've rested, it's a new day. And when you go on a mission trip, you're usually told to be ready to change, be ready to be flexible. Things don't go the way they're always planned. So we're at the hotel. I believe we had lunch. And anyway, whatever was supposed to happen in the afternoons that other churches were supposed to have organized within the city all fell apart. We don't even know the details of what happened. All that happened was, for us was the leadership came and said, uh, the afternoon plans are gone. It's not going to work. And you know, it was early in the trip. I mean, we were still we we're pumped, we're excited, we're 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 waiting to minister, to see what God wants to do. And this happens. And I'm on the team you could see that some people were really frustrated, some were really disappointed, some who were a little less patient than others, thought, Oh good, here we go. We go all this way, and nothing's going to happen. But then there was somebody, and I don't even know who that somebody was. Maybe it was Colton. Walked out the front door of the hotel, and across the street from our hotel is a huge city park surrounded by the city, the businesses. And that park is absolutely full of people. And instead of being frustrated and disappointed, what they looked out there and saw was an opportunity for God to show up. And I guarantee it took some of us out of our comfort zone. We had people on the team that had never really prayed for people for healing. We had people on the team that had never led somebody to Christ and shared the gospel message. And all of a sudden, it's like, come on, let's go. Now, the first afternoon, I got to tell you, the whole team didn't go because word didn't spread. But by the time evening came, word had spread. The ones that went across the street saw God do absolute miracles. Deaf people here, demons cast out in the public park, people coming to Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, blind people seeing, a lame man who is just coming from the emergency room because he got hit by a car on his bicycle, could hardly walk and his arm in a sling, Totally healed. Totally healed. Because God decided to show off and show up. And you can only imagine, the next day, the whole team was out there. And all of a sudden, people are being brought back by family members that were healed or ministered to or set free of demons. And they traveled miles to go home, get their family members, bring them back so that they could experience Jesus. And, of course, there was some people trying to distract what was going on. Because when God shows up, so does the enemy. And it could not could have easily discouraged or dissuaded some people from wanting to continue to ministry. But it didn't. And this went on every day. Every day we saw absolute miracles taking place in a city park in a public setting that no man had planned. Not at all. And I believe it was the last day, or the last last Sunday we were there, Colton and I went over to a local church that was one of the churches that were kind of supposed to be helping organize things. And we shared about what had been taking place. And at the end of the service, we just had an altar call. We prayed for people for healing. And the pastor came forward, and he was up on his knees in front of the church, weeping. When the service was over, went over and I talked to him, and all he could say was, Thank you so much. My church needs to get out of the doors of this building and go to the park. Boy, it challenged all of us. But when God shows up, even though it's not what you were expecting, it wasn't what you were wanting to do even, he shows up. And he gives us the opportunity to build a testimony. I would tell you that if you would ask anybody that was on that trip, they'd be more than happy to share what God did in Navy Columbia in the park. Last week, we looked at chapter 2, and we looked at Daniel. And if you remember the story at all, Daniel was just basically, in my mind, sitting back in his room when one of the king's chief executioner came and knocked on the door and says, Hey, sorry, but we got to kill you and everybody, all the other wise men. It wasn't his fault. He was just sitting there, probably praying. And his whole world could have been threatened and challenged. And we talked a lot last week about how he just didn't panic. He stayed calm. And he responded in such a way that this evil king, Nebuchadnezzar, ends up saying something to the fact that surely your God is the God amongst all God, and he is Lord over all the kings. Well, Nebuchadnezzar's memory didn't last long. All of a sudden, things change again. All of the wise men in Babylon who were supposed to be executed were saved because God moved upon Daniel to give him the dream and the interpretation. And I think one of the things that I want to mention this week about that was that unwelcome interruption, that all of a sudden trial that was not his fault, the challenge that he was facing, turns out to be an opportunity for God to glorify himself, to glorify himself. Unexpected events, some not so serious, some tragically serious, show up. And oftentimes, they're really opportunities for God to demonstrate what's different about a child of God than those that don't know him. How do we react? How do we respond as children of God who put our faith in God and trust in him? So today, the book of Daniel, we're going to look into chapter 3, and we're going to look at an example of a testimony being built that absolutely is astounding. Sometimes these Bible stories, if you've heard the Bible stories about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, it almost becomes like a fairy tale to us. We heard it when we were just little kids in Sunday school, many of us. And some of us in here maybe never heard the story, and we've never read the book of Daniel. This story of these three people can be like I said, a fairy tale in our mind. But when we remind ourselves that they were real people, they were real young men, and this really happened. And God built a testimony in their lives, a testimony that we heard about when we were at Sunday school, a testimony that gets talked about still today. Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to read a few verses here. To launch it, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide, and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now this statue is like 90 feet tall. The peak of our building on the outside is about 30 feet. Three times the height of this building. Nine feet wide. It was probably covered like a gold plating because they would have never moved it if it was solid gold. It seems Nebuchadnezzar forgot awfully quickly who was God and who wasn't. He summoned the the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the advisors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. In other words, he called all the important people in his mind— as, long as as well as all the commoners would be given the same invitation to come. So they all show up, verse 3, so the satraps, perfects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, and magistrates, and all the other officials, they assemble for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. And then the herald proclaimed loudly, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the scissor, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Nebuchadnezzar, who previously in his experience with Daniel had declared that Daniel's God was the God of gods, the Lord of all the kings, and then all of a sudden he builds this statue and tells the people, every time you hear music, you're going to bow down and worship this golden statue that I've created. And Shadrach and Meshach at Abednego, they are, if you remember from last week, after Daniel gave the interpretation, they got put into important positions in the government. They would have been there and they would have heard this and they would have been watching the people prepare to enter into this idolatrous worship. I would guess it probably made their hearts sick. And then at the end of that, in verse 6, they're given the warning. When you look at verses 3 through 6, the second time, it says, here's what's going to happen, here's what you have to do, and if you don't do it, you're going to be thrown into the furnace, and you're going to die. And that's all there is to it. An edict from the king. When this happens, we are seeing something that has been going on since the Garden of Eden. And I believe it's continuing to this day. I would call it a war on worship. In the Garden, Satan wanted to steal the worship that was due God. He was going to tell Adam and Eve that you will become like God. Just eat of the fruit. He's trying to deprive you of something. And ever since then, the enemy has been trying to steal, worship, do only God. We see it here in Daniel, trying to get idols to be worshipped, people of every nation, every language in the kingdom of the Babylon's, the Babylonian Empire. And we would be nice to say if that war ended somewhere back there, but it didn't. I believe the war for worship is continuing today, probably almost as intense, maybe more intense, than it was back then. What are the things that will be challenged to worship? Our work, success, material goods, money, finances, popularity, looking to our government as a provider, political leaders as saviors, comfort, entertainment, Sports, recreation, even family. All of these things, and you could make the list as long as you want, are competing for our worship. None of those in and of themselves are evil things. It's what we do with them in our heart. Where the priorities in our lives get shifted. And the thing that's supposed to be number one, the worship and honor and bringing glory to God, something else is taking its place. This war for our worship will continue until the earth ceases to exist in its current form. In Revelations chapter 13, there's a call to everybody to worship what is called the image of the beast. It's still going to be taking place right before Jesus comes back. It's going to happen. What's going to happen when it intensifies here in this country, when the pressure intensifies, when it gets amped up, when the enemy, through via the government or whatever other source amps up the persecution. In some parts of the world, it's already happened. We know that. We hear stories about martyrs around the world. We hear about the persecution where they couldn't no more gather like this in a public setting to declare the name of Jesus and worship without threat of going to jail, being beaten, families being separated, possibly even death. It's happening around the globe every day. What are we going to do when it happens here? What are we going to do when the pressure to worship something else is put upon us? Are we going to be able to have the testimony and the witness of a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? And a Daniel? What kind of testimony do we have right now? What kind of testimony do you and I have right now from the way we respond to these sudden things that happen in our lives Some of them really are minor inconveniences that we blow way out of proportion. Other things are downright tragedies that we didn't expect. We weren't planning for. What do we do? How have we responded? How will we respond when the pressure amps up? Most of us here, many of you here know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego very well. And you know that they did not bow. They were not going to bow. In verses 13 through 15, it says this, and this follows, and starting in verse 8 through 12, where some of these other political people, some of these other wise men, were quick to go to the king and say, hey, we got a problem here. These three Jewish boys, young men, they won't bow. They aren't going to worship your gods. So they've been turned in, and it comes to verse 13. We starts out with, furious with rage. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar goes crazy with rage and anger. How dare somebody not do what he says must be done? And he summons Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar says to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods and worship the image of gold I have set up? I think if we could see it and be a witness and hear it I think we'd hear a lot of shock in his voice and disdain how could you this can't be true Now when you hear the sound of the horn the flute the zither lyre lyre harp pipe and all kinds of music if you are ready to fall down and worship the image i made he's given him a chance he's given him a chance a second chance that the pressure has been amped up. They're standing before the king. Are you going to cave or not? If you do, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? You want to go, Nebuchadnezzar, remember the God of all gods, the Lord of all kings? He says, what God? There's no God that's going to be able to rescue you from my hands. Nebuchadnezzar says, pride, his ego. And we'll notice once again, like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't panic. They don't start making excuses. They don't start to negotiate. They don't start looking for an exception. They don't even pull out the Daniel reminder of how that went with the dream and interpretation. They don't do any of those things. There's no panic, no fear. Starting in verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Our God is able. He can and he will. Whatever case, however it turns out, we are not going to worship your gods. I believe all of us need to be prepared because I believe like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they had made a decision a long time ago. Starting with when they first got to Babylon and they were challenged by what kind of diet they were going to eat and said, nope, we're not going to do it. The decision had been made way before this stressor was thrown upon them. And that's where we need to be. That's where we need to get. Are we ready? no matter what comes, whether it's national tragedies, national circumstances, local or personal. You know, there's tragedies all around us. Some in here are going through or have gone through tragedies. How are we going to handle it? How are we going to cope? What's our testimony look like? God, I've seen some amazing testimonies in recent months the way people have handled tragedies because their faith is in God and they're not going to bow down to anything else they're going to worship God and him alone could we act the same are we prepared is the word of God established in our hearts to scriptures like Romans 8:28 and we know all things work for good God works them for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Really? All things? God's going to work all things, even these tragedies, these horrible things, somehow for good? For those who believe, called according to his purpose. An interesting scripture that you really need to read a little bit around chapter 12 of Revelation to get the full context. But these words are written in verse 11. They triumphant. They triumphed over him, the enemy. How? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink even from death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens and you who dwell in them. Those things, those kinds of promises, those kinds of words, are they settled in our heart? Are they settled in our spirit? Do we really believe that that no matter what? I sometimes play that game in my head and it never turns out good. But I imagine somebody, you know, they can put a gun to my head and I think I can handle that. No, I'm not going to deny Christ. Go ahead, pull the trigger. And they put the gun at my wife's head. Ooh, it's getting harder. My children are lined up. It gets harder. Men and women, fathers and mothers around the world are facing those things already. Are we ready to face those kinds of things? Have we purposed in our heart that God is in the process when they're in the middle of those things of building a testimony, a witness in our lives? Because the reality is this, testimony often grows out of real pain and suffering. Wouldn't it be nice if it was the other way around all the time? But it's not. We never know for sure what the consequences will be when we choose to worship and honor God instead of giving in and doing what comes actually, quite frankly, more naturally to you and me. Giving in to fear, giving in to peer pressure, giving in to fear of man. Comes naturally to that fallen nature. When the temptation to bow before these earthly powers comes, what are we going to do? Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they didn't know what was going to happen next. They knew there was this threat of the fire in the furnace, but they were still standing before the king. Well, we find out quickly in verses 24 and 25. Then King Nebuchadnezzar. I think I jumped ahead. Did I mess up you back there? They're bound. Talks about, goes a great deal how they're bound. They're bound and they're closed and they're tied up. And then it says, he is so crazy mad. Nebuchadnezzar is so mad at these guys. And I think part of the reason he got so mad is they stayed calm. Doesn't it frustrate the dickens out of you when you want to have a good argument with somebody and they don't respond? You can yell louder and yeller and they just look at you and smile and you just get madder and madder and madder. I believe that's part of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Went so crazy. He says, heat the furnace seven times normal. Bind him up. And then it says he went and got some of his best soldiers. Turned out to be a real waste. And he says, throw them in the furnace. The furnace, the fire of the furnace was so hot it tells us that all of them that threw them into the furnace died on the spot. And they're thrown in the furnace. And then what happens starting in verse 24? Nebuchadnezzar is watching this take place and it says he leaps to his feet in amazement and he asks his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they reply, of course your majesty, you saw this. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth one, he looks like a son of God. Verse 26. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come on out. Servants of the Most High God. Oh boy, his memory's coming back. Servants of the Most High God, come on out of the fire. In verse 26, it says, So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, the perfects, the governors, the royal advisors crowded around them. This is a real scene that really took place in history. Can you imagine if you could have been there? Preferably not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you're watching this, and you see the soldiers that threw them into the fire laying there dead. And they're not burned. There's no bodily harm. Their clothes aren't burned. Their hair's not singed. They don't even smell like smoke. And there they stand before the king. They saw the fire hadn't harmed them, hadn't harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. All that burnt off of them was what they were bound with. There's a message in that whole thing right there. The only thing that fire took care of was what kept them bound. The Lord took care of that immediately. And Nebuchadnezzar in verse 28, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angels and rescued the servants. In the midst of all of these circumstances, this trial that was thrown at them, God gets the glory from this evil king. He declares out of the mouth of the evil king the reason they survived. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Verse 29, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, be cut into pieces, and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. Now, can you imagine an alternative method that would have gotten that response from the king? Can you imagine the leader of any nation, maybe even this one, making a public decree that I don't want to hear one bad word ever out of anyone's mouth about the God of the Christians. What happened from this evil person? How could that be? Because there was a circumstance that arose that challenged the very faith of these three guys. They had purpose in their heart. They were going to stand strong no matter what happened. Their testimony their, their was being built. Their witness was being built. No one. Why did he do that? Because he saw this firsthand. He saw the testimony. What was the testimony? Well, I think the obvious part would be <clears throat> these guys came out of the fiery furnace unharmed, Right? That was quite a testimony, but I think it even started earlier in the day. King Nebuchadnezzar probably didn't recognize it as such at that time. But I think if you look back, you could say, wait a minute, that testimony started to be made before they went in the furnace. Their testimony started to be made the moment they decided we are not going to bow down. And the moment they stood before the king, knowing that he had the power of death or life from the world's perspective, And they said, sorry, King, we aren't going to do it. And they seem to be respectful, Your Majesty, but we're not going to bow down. We're not going to bow down even if you throw us into that furnace. Even if we're not rescued. We are not going to bow down. And then, of course... (laughs) all of that built to this climax where they're, now they're in the fire and he's looking in. And what does he see? Who's the fourth guy? We only threw in three. Where'd the fourth one come from? He declares it's probably an angel, maybe a son of God. Many theologians and commentators think that it was what was called a theophany. A, 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 it was Christ a pre-incarnate Christ showed up in the furnace whatever it was it got their attention the testimony was being built when they got thrown in there was no guarantee that they were going to be rescued there was no guarantee Even if he doesn't, we will not worship God. We know what the Word says about standing by faith. We know the promises of God. We know all of these things. But they didn't have a guarantee, and more often than not, we don't have one either. When we get into these trials and these situations and these tests come our way, we don't know for sure how it's going to turn out. It's called faith. But I would challenge you to look at this this way once. What other, whatever the ultimate result is, we can be assured that Jesus is already there ahead of us. And he's going to walk, he is either going to walk us through it and rescue us, or he's going to take us to glory with him. It's called a win-win. In our natural minds, we wrestle with that. We can't come to conclusions that satisfy all of us. But it's interesting when you look at the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Our God God can and our God will, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's going to either rescue us this way or he's going to rescue us the other way. Sometimes our greatest witness, our greatest testimony to God's power really happens when we suffer these more dire afflictions, trials, tests, And when other people see us still serving God, trusting God, worshiping God, and not being consumed by these circumstances, whatever they might be, When we trust in God no matter what, we really open the door for God's glory and power to show through and to build our testimony. In those difficult, difficult times, we need to be able to find peace in the reality that quite probably God is in the process of making a testimony of our lives. One that's going to bring him glory and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for the testimonies of men like Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego and Daniel. God, real men who lived on this earth and faced challenges of their faith, even at the risk of their very lives. And they stood firm, stood firm in their faith. God, I pray for each and every one of us here, even as you are in the process of making a testimony of each one of our lives, God, that we are able to see with real discernment what it is you're doing. But even when we can't, Lord, that our faith, our trust, our confidence in you will carry us through by your grace. That we may come out the other side with a testimony that might demonstrate the love of Christ to others who may not know you. Lord, I pray this morning if there are some people here today who have never truly made Jesus Christ their personal Lord and Savior by acknowledging their sin and accepting Jesus' sacrifice on that cross as payment in full and surrendering their life to Him, they would do so even in their hearts right now. And that your Holy Spirit would come, and they would experience that new birth, and their whole world would change. And Lord, for the others here who have maybe walked with you for many years even, Lord, I pray that you would continue by your Spirit to teach us, continue to reveal to us more of your character, make the promises of your Word even greater reality, and prepare us for the days that are ahead, that we might truly bring glory and honor to you in the decisions that we would make, the way we would respond and the way we would react when we're surprised by circumstance. Lord, and I pray this Memorial Day weekend here that we would take time and remember those, especially those who gave their lives serving this nation. I know, Lord, also it's a Memorial Day as a day we remember the lost loved ones that have gone before us. God, I pray that you would just be with those who have experienced loss and grief. God, let them know your strength and let them know your peace in the midst of trials. Help us to remember all of the things that bring joy to our heart and to yours. So we pray today, Lord, and this weekend that wherever we go, we would go with your protection. We pray, God, that there are opportunities to demonstrate and let our lives be a testimony to those around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.